0: Hi there and welcome to Kevin Connor's Podcast. Today's message is part of a series called Gems from Galatians. For more teaching on the book of Galatians, be sure to get a hold of Kevin's newly released commentary on this important letter written by the Apostle Paul. Kevin's new commentary is available in paperback format from Amazon, in ebook format for Kindle, and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. Thank you, Lord, that we always have access into your presence through your grace and through faith and through the precious blood of Jesus. We pray, Father, as we uh, begin this series on gems from Galatians, we pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired the word and uh, just uh, caused Paul to write uh, this uh, tremendous epistle, we pray that the same Holy Spirit will just quicken the epistle to us and the tremendous truths that are therein. Help us, Father. We just pray that you'll bless your word to our hearts. We always depend upon your Holy Spirit to help us. And you said uh, that when the spirit of truth is come, he would guide us into all truth. He would take the things of Jesus and show them unto us. May that be our experience as we uh, do this series week by week. Uh, we ask in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. amen. Well, let's be seated. Right, uh, what we're going to do tonight uh, is sort of lay a foundation for the epistle. And uh, so tonight will mainly be introductory material, but uh, just to give a good foundation on the setting in which Paul wrote the epistle. So I'd like you to turn over to Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1. And I'm going to read uh, just a few verses, uh, the first few verses, just to get the... Uh, introduction of Paul's words here. All right, Galatians chapter 1, and I'm uh, reading from old uh, King James at the moment. All right, so it says, "'Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ.' who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so, so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation, or my former conduct, uh, New King James says, in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, And called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred, not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. All right, we'll just hold that uh, there for our introductory material. All right, now everybody should have the uh, sheet out of um, New Testament survey, the sheet on Galatians. And uh, under number one, we'll just be covering uh, most of this material tonight, along with some additional material. Uh, The titles of the book, we have the Epistle to the Galatians, and uh, the book has been designated under B as the Book of Christian Liberty. All right, the author is Paul. Uh, We always say the divine author. Uh, How many know that though there's 66 books in the Bible, there's only one author? There are about 40 different writers but only one author, that's God, by the Holy Spirit. He is the author. There are about 40 different writers, uh, instruments, who wrote the book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but there's really only one author. So uh, Paul is the author, written by Paul, who is the apostle from the Gentiles. Uh, I'd like you to turn over just to uh, uh, Acts chapter 9 for a moment. We will deal with this a little bit more fully in a subsequent session, but let's turn over to Acts chapter 9. and uh, just pick up a uh, few thoughts here. Now just uh, glance over, over uh, Acts chapter 9 and uh, you might like, if you're taking additional notes here, take down some additional thoughts that we'll uh, present as we move along. Saul's name, you'll notice in verse 1, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Saul's name actually means destroyer destroyer of the people. The name Saul means destroyer of the people. And uh, he certainly lived up to his name at uh, this time uh, of the book of Acts, persecuting the church and uh, putting men and women into prison and even the death of some, even there at the death of Stephen. So Saul means uh, destroyer of the people. But Paul, when his name was changed from Saul to Paul, Paul means the worker. So from being a destroyer Of the people of God, he became the worker and probably the greatest uh, working apostle of uh, all the apostles in the New Testament. All right, now, as you uh, just glance over that without me reading so much here, uh, Paul's on the way to Damascus, which he refers to here. Uh, in, in the passage we read from Galatians, uh, I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. So uh, he's uh, got letters on the way to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, and uh, literally those of you who have a uh, more updated translation, literally those who are of the way... And uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the the life. And uh, in the early church, one of the designations for the early believers, they were called the people of the way. And so uh, Paul persecuted those, uh, any of those who were of the way. So as he's uh, on the way to Damascus, suddenly there shines a light around uh, about him from heaven. And uh, other accounts of his uh, conversion, Paul says that this light was above the brightness of the noonday sun. So, I mean, you can think how bright the noonday sun is. How many know uh, what light is brighter than the noonday sun? How many know it's the light of the sun? S-O-N. The light of the sun is brighter than the light of the S-U-N, the sun. And so this light... Uh, a light shone from heaven uh, fell down and he fell to the earth Uh, we don't have an account he was really riding a donkey Uh, most uh, preachers assume that but he fell to the earth and heard the voice saying Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? and he said who are you Lord? and the Lord said uh, I am Jesus whom you persecute, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, like an ode kicking against the pricks. And it's interesting note here, and we uh, uh, refer to this when we did a series in the book of Acts, that uh, when this light is shining from heaven, and Paul hears this, or Saul as he was then, hears this voice, uh, as far as he knows, being a Pharisee, of the Pharisees he was. As far as he knows, it's a divine revelation, and he believes it's an appearance of God or call of God. So he says, Who art thou, Lord? And uh, you can imagine, as the verse says in verse 6, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord. uh, Trembling and astonished because uh, when when, uh, he said, Who art thou, Lord? The voice said, I am Jesus. The voice didn't say, I am Lord the voice said, I am Jesus. And the moment he thought, oh, this is the Jesus that Stephen was calling upon when he was stoned in Acts chapter 7, calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus. said, Lord Jesus receive my spirit. And so no wonder Paul, or Saul as he was then, stood there trembling and astonished. Uh, It's Jesus, this voice. is not the Lord God of the Old Testament, it's the Lord Jesus of the New Testament. And, uh, so he said, why are you persecuting me? And who was Paul or Saul persecuting? He was persecuting Christ through the members of his body. Uh, remember, Jesus saved this principle in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, as, uh, as much as you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you're doing it to me. So whatever Paul was doing to the Christians, he was really doing to the Lord Jesus Christ because they were members of the body. So what was ever done to the body is done to the head. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord didn't say, I want you to go and write a magazine and get a big tent, start a revival campaign. He said, uh, Go into the city, and there's going to be another member of the body of Christ that I'm working on as head of the church, and uh, he'll tell you what to do. Now, Saul could have said, like some preachers say, Well, no one's going to tell me what to do, I'm going to get it direct from heaven. But he is one of the first things he's going to learn is is the truth of the body of Christ, whatever he does to the members of the body of Christ, he's doing to Christ. And also he's going to learn submission. You go into the city and submit to a member that I'm going to move on as head of the church and uh, it'll be told you what you must do. And see, uh, in the book of Acts, you see how wonderfully it is that the Lord Jesus, as head of the church, is always working on both ends. He worked on uh, Peter. And then he worked on Cornelius, he worked on Philip, and then he worked on the, uh, on, on the eunuch. He worked on uh, Saul here, and he worked on Ananias. Uh, God, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of church always works on both ends, and then he brings those ends together and ties a knot. How many are glad for that? So, you know, it gives you uh, confidence in the Lord that he works on both ends. And, you know, in our witnessing and testifying to people, we say, Lord, you work on me, you work on the other end. Work on both ends. And so the head of the church working on both ends, he's working on Saul, and then uh, he's working on Ananias, the other end. Now, you'll notice uh, in verse 7 and 8... And the man which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So they heard a voice, didn't see anybody. Uh, Other accounts of Saul's conversion said they heard the voice, but they didn't actually hear the words that were spoken to him. Now in verse 8, because of the glory of the risen Christ, uh, the result was that Paul's eyes, he was blinded. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, blinded by the glory of God. I may have mentioned this on a previous occasion. Uh, when I hear sinners or people, you know, uh, talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or mock uh, things like that, uh, I remember one time when I was in, in the USA, uh, there was a young man down in California, and uh, he was high on drugs, and uh, uh, he got so high on drugs he flaked out, on one of the streets of San Francisco but he had his eyes open and he was gazing at the sun when he came out of his trip spaced out he was totally blind so you know if, if, if none of us can look into the sun the only, only creature that can look into the sun is the eagle of all the creatures the eagle is the only bird that has an extra eyelid and can look into the sun and the glory of the sun So, you know, I mean, uh, if the natural sun blinded this young man who was on drugs and having a trip there, what do you think is going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back the second time in all his glory? Because the Bible says he's going to come in the glory of the Father, flaming fire, blazing glory. So uh, how many are glad that you're an eagle? They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings like an eagle. And you'll renew your youth. I'm an eagle saint. Ever seen my wings? <laughs> uh, just watch for the backbiters, that's all. They might pluck your feathers out. But uh, the eagle saints, the woman in Revelation 12 is given the wings of a great eagle where she can fly into a place where she's preserved the Lord. So it's the eagle saints that, there's uh, uh, a little indulgence thought of mine here. Uh, when Jesus was saying, one will be taken and one will be left. Uh, The disciples said to Jesus, where? And he said, where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now, I've heard lots of uh, different interpretations of that. So, well, the Roman eagles and the Jewish body. Now, I prefer to uh, follow this line of thought that just imagine Jesus Christ coming from the throne of God. And as he comes through the three heavens, the heaven of heavens and the planetary heavens, And then the atmospheric heavens, and he breaks through the atmospheric heavens just like a spaceship. Nothing compared to Jesus. And all of a sudden, that blazing glory is there. Jesus comes a second time, and the saints are going to be caught up to meet him in the air. So Jesus, in his glorified body, where the body is, they're the eagle's will gather together and I see out of every kindred tongue, tribe and nation the redeemed in the rapture, not a secret one a glorious one flying to meet the Lord Jesus Christ how many think that's a great thought, where the body is there the eagle saints will be gathered together because the book of Job says that the eagles like to feed upon the body and blood of the lamb, did you know that? And that's what we do every Sunday. We gather around the table of the Lord and the eagles feed upon the body and blood of the Lamb of God. Everybody said hallelujah. All right, that's just for nothing. I won't charge you for that little bit. All right, so, uh, so, so great is the glory of the risen Christ, the Son of God's glory is greater than the Son, the natural Son. And so his eyes were, were open. He saw no man. He was blinded. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. Interesting, because this is the man that's writing this epistle. And it's just interesting, because later on he defends his apostleship, he defends the gospel, and his conversion, how he received the gospel by revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul began his ministry on the foundation of three days and three nights prayer and fasting. Jesus' ministry he began on the foundation of three days and three nights. As Jonah was in the heart of the fish, three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the, in the heart of the earth. So three days and three nights, the number of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, try unity, three days. Not two days, not four days, but three days and three nights. Foundation of Christ's ministry, and here's the foundation of Paul as he was to be apostolic ministry, apostle to the Gentiles. So when you just read Paul's epistles, and as he starts off, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, not of men, not by men, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've got to think of this background, because later on he defends himself. Am not I an apostle? Have not I seen the Lord? Because they're contesting his apostle. Well, Paul wasn't one of the twelve. He wasn't chosen by Christ. Say, okay, here he is, chosen on the Damascus Road. Now, just move on to the next verses. The Lord comes to Ananias in a vision. And uh, he, he, uh, in those days, I didn't have a telephone, telegram, telewoman, telefax. Uh, the four means of communication. So uh, the Lord had to give... I uh, got some looks then, I got the vibes. Uh, the Lord had to give Ananias, his name and address and the street... And where he lived. So he said, I want you to go, in verse 11, go into the street, which is called Straight, uh, the house of Judas. There's a man there by the name of Saul, and he comes from the city of Tarsus, and he's praying. And uh, as he's praying there, he's got a vision of a man named Ananias uh, coming in, putting his hands on him, might receive his sight. And Ananias said, hey, Lord, you know, this man's a killer. Uh, you know, the saints the dead meet with him around. And he's got authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. And you'll notice the emphasis on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ here in verse 14. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. But the Lord said unto me, go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And uh, whenever I read verse 17, I think it's always a very moving verse when you see the context, the setting of it. Ananias went his way and entered in the house and putting his hands on him, he didn't say reverence all or pastor Saul, or bishop Saul, or father. So he just said brother. How many are glad they weren't wrapped up in titles in the early church? Brother a brother Saul, and he said, the Lord, even Jesus. Now you see, Stephen has said, I see heaven open and the glory of God, and I see Jesus standing at the the, the right hand of the Father. And as uh, Stephen was being stoned and Saul was holding his garments, Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now that's what Stephen said, Lord Jesus. He called Jesus Lord which was blasphemy in the early church to call anybody Lord but the Father. And Caesar was Lord. Millions of Jews would rather die than say Caesar is Lord. And then on on the Damascus Road, Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord, he called Jesus Lord. No man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit. He was converted right there and then. He said, Lord... What do you want me to do? And now Ananias comes along and says, the Lord, even Jesus. How many think that must have really done something? No wonder Paul said later on in the epistle to the Colossians, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. How many of you appreciate the name of the Lord Jesus? Now, here's the point I want to get to. Verse 17, so brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared to you in the way as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me say something here because in the Galatian epistle, contrary to some of the preachers today, Paul says, uh, you see how large a letter I've written to you and he says to the Galatian church, look, when I first came to you with the gospel, you would have plucked out your eyes. So what some of the, uh, I'm trying to be kind here because this is on tape, uh, what some of the different teachers say in different uh, um, denominations, they say, well, Paul's thorn in the flesh was, he had sore eyes, he had often the failure, uh, he had pus running down his eyes. And that's why he wrote to the Galatian church, you see how large a letter I have written to you had to write large letters and that they would have plucked out their eyes and given him because he had poor eyes I, I don't feel that's right because listen to here Ananias said the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto you in the way as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight be filled with the Holy Ghost and immediately there fell all this pus that doesn't say that immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been something like scales, and he received sight forthwith and rose and was baptized. How many know that when Jesus healed Paul's eyes, he blinded him with his glory. He healed it. He healed him too. So I don't think Paul was running around saying, "Oh, get me some tissues. I've got a lot of pus running from my eyes." And you, Galatians, I'm writing big, large letters to you because I can't. I have to squint and see. How many think that's a ridiculous thing? See, Jesus healed him. But there's a symbolic thing here. I believe, uh, and I've mentioned this uh, on other occasions, it's not always so, but often the physical condition points to a spiritual condition. Turn, turn over with me um, uh, to Second Corinthians chapter, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians... 2 second Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter three. Sorry, second Corinthians chapter three. Now, Paul sees the glory of the Lord Jesus, his eyes are blinded. Now when Ananias lays hands on him, uh, something like scales fell off his eyes, and he received sight and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said, Often in the Scripture, not always, so because this can, point can be used in uh, condemnation, but not always, but often in Scripture, God used the physical condition to describe a spiritual condition. So the spiritual condition that Paul was blind and then received his sight is symbolic of a, the physical spiritual there. Listen, listen to what Paul says here. Uh, verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 3. Well, verse 12 will lead into it. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses was put a veil over his face, and the children of Israel, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end uh, of that which was abolished, but their minds were blinded. That's the point. Paul, as a Pharisee, his mind was blinded. His eyes were blinded, but it was a... The physical blindness pointed to a spiritual blindness. The mind was blinded. And then he continues, But their minds were blinded, for until this day remains the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away in Christ? Now Saul is coming out of being in Moses, he's coming into Christ. And the scales fell from his eyes. Let's continue reading. But their minds were blinded until this day, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ? But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, that is, when the heart shall turn to the Lord, the, uh, the veil shall be done away. Now Saul has turned to the Lord, and the veil is done away. The scales fall from his eyes. And see, what he's got to contend with, as we're going to see in, uh, in due time tonight, is the Judaizing teachers are propagating Moses. You've got to have Moses in one hand and Jesus in the other. And Paul comes on and said, no, it's all of Jesus. It's not a bit of Moses and a bit of Jesus. It's all of Jesus because Moses pointed to Jesus. So he says, you know, even to this day when Moses is read and in the reading of the Old Testament, their minds are blinded, the veil is done away. But if they'll just come to Christ, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was done away. The veil of the temple was rent, the veil of his flesh was rent, and Saul's eyes were opened. So there was a physical spiritual things. So I believe the physical falling of scales, something like scale from Paul's eyes, Saul's eyes there, uh, was a symbolic truth that the scales were now going to fall from his eyes in the reading of the Old Testament. And Saul, or Paul as he becomes, is the greatest revelator of Christ that we have in the New Testament. Uh, We have At least 13, if he wrote Hebrews, which I believe he did, we have at least 14 epistles written by this man. And so that's sort of a setting for the Galatian epistle because of the trouble that's going on. Okay, so let's go back to um, Galatians chapter 1. And so on on your outline, I've given you on the survey, so the title of the book, The Epistle to the Galatians B, it's the book of Christian liberty because the Judaizers are wanting to bring them back into bondage and the author or the writer of the book is Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. On your outline there, number three, the date, probably written between 48 and 58 AD from Antioch, which was Paul's home church, uh, either at the end of Paul's first or second missionary journey, as we see in Acts 14 and Acts 18, so somewhere in there. All right, now in Galatians chapter 1, I want to pick up this expression here. And just remember what we're laying tonight is foundation, just the setting of, uh, of the epistle. Uh, in verse uh, 1, he says, okay, Paul, an apostle, not of men, so he's not a man-made apostle, neither by men, no, nobody prophesied him to be an apostle, but by Jesus Christ, who is the apostle. While we're on that thought, hold Galatians 1 and uh, look at Hebrews chapter 3 with me, just a moment this whole Galatians uh, chapter 1 and uh, look at Hebrews chapter 3 and uh, because I'm coming from a a reasonable large frame of reference and I've had to deal with these things over the years sometimes uh, it's an interesting contrast Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 it says wherefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling, calling consider The Apostle and High Priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Anytime Paul writes his epistle, he says, Paul, an apostle. He never says, Paul, the apostle. And over my years, I I, I remember one uh, one, uh, situation where a man was declaring himself as an apostle, but he wrote uh, a little booklet and called himself the apostle. I said, there's only one the apostle, And that is considered the apostle and high priest of our profession, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is not the apostle. He is an apostle. And how many know that Christ the apostle is the only infallible apostle? And all other apostles, lesser apostles, are to be judged by him. So Paul never says Paul the apostle. He says an apostle, but not the apostle. He is an apostle under the apostle. Okay, back to, uh, back to Galatians 1 now then. So, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So we have the Father and the Son, and the seal, the resurrection from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me, so Paul was happy to say, well, I've got somebody with me, because a lot in Galatia were turning away from him. So, oh, who's Paul? He's not one of the twelve. Uh... Who's he think he is, self-styled apostle, but all the brethren which are with me, unto the churches of Galatia. Um, I want you to just uh, look at this map a little bit with me here, and I want to give you just some um, little bit of background from the book of Acts here. Uh, before, well, yes, we'll, we can do that, I think. Okay, you don't have to take that down, okay? Uh, let's turn over just to two or three scriptures because it seems that after Paul, in fact, uh, someone gave me a little toy here. Let's see if I can work it. Ah. Uh, Paul's church, Antioch, so he leaves his home church and on the fish, first missionary journey he goes through Derby, Lystra, Iconium and then comes back. And then on his second missionary journey, which it seems he's going up through here, uh, through Phrygia and then uh, moves into Galatia from where some of the churches were were founded. Let's turn over to uh, just two or three scriptures on this. Acts chapter 16. So it just sort of puts the epistle in the setting, the historical setting uh, that we need to look at in laying foundations here. Acts chapter 16 and verse uh, 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 verse 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. Okay, Acts 16. Now this is about the second missionary journey and it seems here that this is where the churches of Galatia were founded. So we're told, now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, uh, which would be like the region would be like the province, so we have the region Galatia, uh, province of Galatia. So when they'd gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, it seems particularly southern Galatia at the moment, um, uh, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, so Asia up there. So they're forbidden of the Lord to preach the word in Asia. Look what the next verse says. And, uh, and after they were come to uh, Mysia, that's over here. What happened? They are they tried to go into Bithynia, but what happened? The Spirit suffered them not, or the Spirit did not permit them. How many know that there's a, a time? as there was in their church, when the gospel is to go to various cities. And see, it wasn't time here. So, you know, Paul could have been frustrated and said, look, I tried to go to Bithynia. Jesus said, preach the gospel to every creature. But the Spirit actually suffered them not said, no, Bithynia is not ready. Mysia is not ready but, uh, ready. but Phrygia and Galatia, some of this area, they were ready. And then as you go on to the next verse, just in connection with the map, in verse uh, 8, And they, passing by uh, Mysia, came down to Troas, up on the map there somewhere, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. So after he'd seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So you can see how Paul came up through here, uh, phrygia the region of galatia established some churches here as so we'll see and he say it went over here uh w- was forbidden to go to asia and bithynia and then comes way over and sees this man of macedonia over here and moves down to philippi because this was a time in due time paul would come back here but not at the moment there's just a time uh, uh when god moves on different cities acts chapter 18 and verse 23 We have uh, Paul's next trip, and you'll see what he did. Acts 18, verse 23. And after, or verse 22, we better lead into it. And when he had uh, landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch, so back to his home church. And after he'd spent some time there in his home church, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia. So Antioch spent some time there. Now he goes and spent. Went all over the country of Galatia, and uh, was it say in and Phrygia? So Galatia and Phrygia here, in order. So he had a particular order, strengthening all the disciples. Okay. So background of the church at Asia. Now I'll go over to First Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians 16 and uh, verse, uh, particularly verse 1, a little bit of verse 2, but just gives you an idea what Paul did in all the different churches uh, and especially the church in Galatia. So he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So he's writing to the Corinthian church and says, Listen, when I went through uh, Galatia and established churches there, I gave particular order, and the order I gave to the churches in Galatia, Corinth, I want you to do the same. So on uh, on verse 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in stores, God has prospered, so there be no uh, gatherings or collections when I come. All right. so Galatia, the churches of Galatia. Let's turn way over to 1 Peter chapter 1, and years later, uh, the Apostle Peter. And you see, once we get into the uh, epistle to the Galatians a little bit more, the, co- the, the, the conflict is over Peter and over Paul. Well, Peter was an apostle. He was one of the twelve. He got the keys of the kingdom. Paul, who do you think you are? And so Paul is writing to defend his apostleship, and uh, they're comparing Peter and Paul, so that's got to be dealt with. Okay, First Peter chapter 1. And uh, just verse, verse 1 will be sufficient. Years later, Peter writes to the di- uh, disciples and the strangers throughout these different regions. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, no, there's an apostle, not the apostle, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, So years later, the gospel had gone to Asia, to Bithynia, and now Peter, before he uh, disappears somewhere, he's writing to the strength. The New King James puts it this way, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to foreknowledge. So years later, the church had grown and the gospel had gone to Asia and Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Pontius up here. So all those areas. So Peter as an apostle is writing to them. Um, All right. So back to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. So just uh, confirming what we've read. So all the brethren that are with me unto the churches uh, of Galatia. So a number of churches were uh, founded there. Now, I want you to pick up this point here. As you go through Paul's epistles, you'll find that Paul, in fact, uh, just to help us here, that Paul had, had a certain, uh, a certain, um, what's, what's the, uh, what's the word I can say, a certain order, a certain presentation of the gospel that never seemed to vary and always particularly uh, laying down foundation principles. Uh, without turning to this, just so you can put it down, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll, I'll just read it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you're taking down notes. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 17, just to give you an idea, uh, Paul says here, "'For this cause I've sent unto you,' that's the Corinthian church here, "'Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord,' who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So it doesn't matter where Paul went, everywhere he went in every church, he taught certain things. I'd like to give you a list of at least uh, what we call here principles of church life class, uh, first, uh, first uh, principle, uh, principles of church life class. Okay, it is evident, reading off my note here, it is evident that the true gospel had been preached to them, followed by signs and wonders. Go back to the Galatian epistle. It's important to sort of understand this background, so that, you know, uh, when Paul writes here, nowhere, I mean, you know, Paul was a human being, how many know that? And uh, I think he was a bit agitated here, because every other epistle... He uh, sort of, you know, says, I've been praying for you and I have you in my heart, but here he just gets right stuck into them, you know. I marvel that you're so soon removed from the gospel that I preach to you to another gospel. And if anybody preaches another gospel than what I preach, let him be accursed. And just in case you didn't get the point, if anybody preaches another gospel that I didn't preach, let him be accursed. Did you get it? Uh, You know, his whole demeanor here, He's pretty agitated because of what, what's happening in the church here. All right, so uh, uh, Galatians chapter 3, it's quite evident that in the church, and remember he's not writing just to one church. The churches in Galatia, the churches of Galatia uh, he's writing to. So in Galatians 3, verse 1 and 2, look what he says. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. What Paul is saying, the the, the New King James says, uh, Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Paul so preached the gospel and the cross that it was as if they had actually seen the crucifixion itself. He made the crucifixion and the work of the cross so real to them. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ being crucified, you saw the thing when I preached the gospel, it was so real. And then he says, um, verse 5 I'm after, He therefore that ministered to you in the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? So it's quite evident, as Paul says, truly the signs of an apostle were manifest everywhere I went. God confirmed the word with signs of wonders and miracles. And so in the church of Galatia, they had seen the miracles take place. As Christ was preached, Christ crucified, miracles were taking place. Okay, uh, let's just put down some of the things that Paul had preached, as he had in every church. Number one here, this is on foundation principles here, uh, repentance from dead works. Everywhere Paul went, he preached repentance. Number one, foundation principles. Okay, repentance from dead works. Acts chapter 20, 21. We won't turn to it. Acts 20, 21. Number two, faith towards God. Not faith in yourself or how to have faith in your faith. Faith towards God. Uh, Acts 20, 21. Same verse again. And Hebrews 6. Verse 1 and 2. If you look on your notes here, on the sheet, the outline sheet I've given you, you'll notice under key words that the word faith is mentioned at least 22 times in this epistle. Why? Because he's trying to remind them you are justified by faith in Christ, not by works. Faith versus works. Justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. All right, so faith towards God. Number number three, third thing in principles was water baptism. And you have an allusion to this in Galatians chapter 3 and 27. Water baptism, Galatians three twenty-seven, where he says, For as many of you, now remember he's writing to the churches in Galatia, For as many of you as have been baptized, not into the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but baptized into Christ. See, in fact, there's no record in the book of Acts or in the epistles of, say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, we do it here just to balance out some of the uh, false charges laid against Waverley even. So, we say so we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so you'd rise to walk with Him in unison of life. But Paul just says straight here, as many of you has been baptized, you were baptized into Christ. And he means the full name there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've put on Christ. It wasn't a nameless baptism. All right, so you've put on Christ. And Matthew 28, 19, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And Romans 6, Matthew 28, 19, Romans 6, 3 to 4, you are buried with Him, not them, buried with Him in baptism. You are raised into His likeness. Baptized in Christ, put on Christ. Then number four, foundation principles, is Holy Spirit baptism. And uh, just go to Galatians chapter 3 in connection with this. Now remember, this is all the foundation of the churches of Galatia as I teach in every church everywhere. Churches of Galatia, not just one church. Galatians 3, verse 2 and 3, listen to what he says. This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? When did they receive the the Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having become, begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So receiving the Spirit. And all through the book of Acts, there was only ever one tarrying meeting. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, pardon me, was the only tarrying meeting in the book of Acts. Receive the Holy Spirit since you believe, Paul said to the Ephesians. Uh, Peter came down to... Uh, Samaria, and laid hands on the Samaritans that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Always receiving meetings. Have you received the Spirit? So this only l- what I l- learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by faith? No, you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith. He that ministered to you the Spirit. So emphasis on the Spirit. On your notes, you'll notice Spirit, and the key words there is used at least 18 times. So these key words sort of open up the epistle for you. So faith used 22 times, spirit 18 times are the key words there. All right, so working of miracles, the hearing of faith, all foundation principles. Uh, let me just, uh, before I move on to the next uh, point here, uh, There are certain major, so their foundation principles, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, that's what we refer to as the Peter package. How many can say amen to that? That's the day of Pentecost. Repent, believe, Be water baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. That's the Peter package, and they were added to the church. That's the foundation of any church. And everywhere Paul went, he laid proper foundation. He said, said, I have laid the foundation, which is Christ, and others build thereupon, but take heed how you build. Now, in the churches here, the Judaizers are not taking heed how they build. All right, listen to uh, four major doctrines or great theological truths that are found in this epistle that Paul has to contend for. So four major theological truths, great doctrines of the faith. But beside those experiential foundation principles, here are the major doctrines of Galatians, which we're going to be developing as we go through. Number one, justification by faith, not by works of the law. Galatians 2.16 is an example. So justification by faith, not by works of the law. Just one example of this for the moment. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So justification by faith. The great cardinal doctrine of Martin Luther and the Reformation period. Justification by faith. Not by works of law. The second major doctrine, which is, they're all interrelated of course, is that you are saved by grace through faith. You're saved by grace, not by law. The word grace, as you've got on your notes there, in the key words is used seven times. Seven times you're saved by grace, not by the law. Uh, put down, uh, put down. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read it, but just put it down. Your notes. Know, uh, John's Gospel, chapter one, and we'll pick this up uh, in a subsequent time. John, chapter one, verse seventeen. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Think of the words now. The law was given by Moses. And see, the epistle to the Galatian church is the, uh, Moses in one hand and Jesus in the other. You've, you, you can accept Jesus, but you must do what Moses said. So Moses and Jesus. No, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth wasn't given by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came. And it wasn't grace without truth or truth without grace. Okay, so the law was given. That's John 1:17. So, second major doctrine there, interrelated with the first, saved by grace and not by the law. All right, the third major doctrine, the great theological truth in Galatians is this, that there is liberty in Christ from the bondage, and I want you to listen to the words I'm saying, from the bondage of the ceremonial law. Okay, liberty in Christ, from the bondage of the ceremonial law. So when uh, he says to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ has made us free, and don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So liberty in Christ from the bondage of the ceremonial law. I'll explain that uh, in a little while. So liberty in Christ. So that's why we call it the book of Christian liberty. There's liberty in Christ from the bondage of the ceremonial law. The last major truth, and uh, we'll be spending at least a whole night on this one is, I'll say the sentence first, the new covenant freezes from the old covenant and brings us to the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. That'll be a very exciting session when we get onto that. So I'll say that again the new covenant frees us from the old covenant. So the new covenant is Jesus who established the new covenant. Old covenant is Moses. So the new covenant frees us from the old covenant. Jesus frees us from Moses. What I'm saying. But it brings us to the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. I can't uh, develop that anymore tonight, but uh, that's a major, major truth because as we put on our our uh, outline there, the, the Galatian believers are suffering from what I call covenantal confusion. Well, I'm in the new covenant, but what about the Mosaic covenant, the law covenant? I've still got to keep that covenant. Then what about the Abrahamic covenant because Abraham had circumcision? And the, uh, under the Abrahamic covenant, and then Moses had circumcision. So, though I'm under the deco- I must get circumcised. See, it's covenantal confusion. And Paul's writing to get them out of covenantal confusion. And a lot of people today are in covenantal confusion. That'll be an exciting session on that when we get to the covenants. Okay, just for a few more moments here. How are you all doing out there? Everybody's surviving? Am I talking too fast? Uh, How many say yes? How many say no? I was born in a hurry. Yes. People say, Kevin, I'm glad you've got two eyes and two ears but one mouth. Uh, Tremendous encouragement. Okay. All right. The key verse. Now, on your notes there, we're doing pretty good working through your notes. There's a lot of key words, but we'll pick them up as we work through. The key verses, I just want to pick up one key verse Uh, under number 5 here on the outline, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. Let's let's turn to that. So just foundation, Galatians 3 and verse 11. This is like the stage, this is the backdrop of the epistle. Galatians 3 verse 11, it says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Uh, why don't you take this simple diagram, because uh, this is quite an exciting uh, point here. Now, th- this, uh, this verse here, how many you know where it comes from? It comes from, just put it down on your notes, we won't have time to turn to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul is quoting, The just shall live by faith. In fact, you might like to... Uh, make a note of this. uh, Habakkuk 2 verse 4. The word faith is only used twice in the Old Testament. I mean, the word believe is used, but the specific word faith. Let me give you the two references. One is a negative reference. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 20 is the negative reference. And it says about Israel, the children of Israel, in whom is no faith. And you know the nation was riddled with unbelief. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 20. No faith. The only other reference to faith in the Old Testament, that's a specific word faith, mind you, is in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 where the prophet says, the just shall live by faith. So children of Israel in whom there's no faith, and then the just to live by faith. So one negative, one positive. Now I want you to see what Paul does with this verse. And uh, it's quite an interesting thing. So let's uh, see how we go. Can you, can you see that? Or is that a bit light? I'll see if I've got a darker one here. Maybe this one. Okay, so just draw like a, a box like this. How's that? That's better. And put down like three columns here. And... This verse from Habakkuk, because it's the key verse of Galatians. This verse from Habakkuk is quoted three times and all by Paul. That's if Paul wrote Hebrews, which I said I believe it did. Let's look at the references. All right, first column here, Romans 1 and verse 17. Then what we're looking at now, Galatians 3, verse 11. And then the third time it's quoted is Hebrews 10.38. Let me just say that again for the tapeworms. Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. Now, Paul wrote Romans and Galatians. I personally believe he wrote Hebrews. And you see, these are really twin epistles. Martin Luther in the Reformation, his favorite epistles were Romans and Galatians, because when he was... Uh, climbing up the stairs there doing penance and broken glass, he heard this voice from heaven speak to him, Martin Luther, the just shall live by faith. And in that moment, the Reformation was born because he had been trying to be justified by works, penance instead of repentance, <coughs> loaded with it in the Roman church. And so the Lord said, the just shall live by faith. And the Reformation was born in that moment. So Luther's favorite epistles were Romans and Galatians. They were actually the epistles of the Reformation. Christian liberty from works and ceremonialisms of the Roman church. Now, as Paul writes each of these epistles, and as I said, you know, this is controversial, this part, but I personally believe he wrote Hebrews. He picks up out of this verse... Uh, a major word, and let's just draw another line here, and emphasis, emphasizes that. In Romans, the emphasis is this, the just. The whole theme of Romans is justification by faith. How can a man be justified before God? That's the burden. It's the book of justification, justification by faith. So the emphasis there is just justification by faith. But when you get to Galatians, you know what the emphasis is here? The just shall, what's the next word? Live, and the emphasis here in Galatians is on life. And as you'll see on your notes that I've given you, uh, the word life or live is used at least 13 times. Let me just go to a couple of verses here, just to sort of give you that key there. Um, Galatians. Let's go to Galatians two, and uh, no, let's go to Galatians three. Then go back to Galatians three. So, so the emphasis in Romans is on the just. Emphasis in Galatians is shall live, and listen, listen to Galatians three, and verse uh, twenty one. Galatians three, verse twenty one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the law could not give life. What's the opposite to life? Death. The law works death. Listen to Galatians uh, 3 and verse... 11, and 12, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, for it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. See? Galatians 2 and verse 20 is the most marvelous verse on life and living. Galatians 2, verse 20 And you can say hallelujah. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I think that's worth a hallelujah, don't you? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Another powerful verse. See, so the emphasis here is shall live. Well, you know the answer to the next. The just shall live, what? By faith. And what's the emphasis in Hebrews? At least about 28 or 34 times the word faith is in this epistle. By faith, by faith, by faith. Faith towards God. Faith. We inherit the promises by faith and patience. By faith, by faith. So you see, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know, we go back to the Old Testament, look at this, the just shall live by faith. Our six little words, how many know that six little words are a lot of words when God's in it? And the whole epistle of Romans is, is founded on the just shall live by faith. And Galatians, the theme is, death through the law, death through works, you'll die trying to do enough works to get salvation, get life. If life could be through the law, let us know. Life is in Christ. And by faith, by faith, by faith, not by works. Put down this little thought here. It's not uh, original with me. The law said, do and live. Grace says, live and do. The law says, do and live. The man that doeth them shall live. If you do the law, you'll get life. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? The young man says, Keep the commandments. He said, I've done all this. You know, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't take. I've done all that, but what, I, what lack I yet? Well, if you really want life, how about selling all your possessions, picking up your cross and following me? And the young man went away sad at that saying. And Jesus didn't chase after him and say, hey, leave the cross out, just give a tithe to me. and We'll call it quits. He went away sorrowful because he really didn't want eternal life what can I do to inherit eternal life? Life is in Christ. Okay, just for our last few moments, pick up uh, one other thought here, and then we're through. Um, Go back to Galatians chapter 1. I want you to notice this here. Now, so we've got the background of the church, the churches in Galatia, foundation principles laid by Paul, and... um, the receiving of the Spirit, miracles operating there, the key verse in the, in the book here. Now, here's the problem. Galatians chapter 1, and uh, we'll pick up a little expression here from Old King James and the New. For he says here, uh, verse 13, Galatians 1.13, For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. Make it, just make a note of that, the Jews' religion. And in verse 14, and profited in the Jews' religion. Now, the New King James, and I think some of the other translations put it this way uh, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. Well, I'd like you to put those expressions down. The Jews' religion. How many know that Christianity is not a religion? Christianity is Christ, it's a person. But Judaism is the Jews' religion. It's a religion. Religion doesn't save us. The world, I mean, uh, uh, Marx said, religion is the opium of the people. Religion is. There's so many religions. But we're not interested in religion. We're interested in the person. Jesus. How many can say amen? All right, and then Judaism for, you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. Okay, from Webbs' dictionary, uh, he defines Judaism as this, uh, conformity to Jewish rights. Uh, You might like to take this down, I'll just go a bit slower here. Conformity to Jewish rights ceremonies, customs, and beliefs. Okay, that's a good simple definition of Judaism, the Jewish religion, conformity to Jewish rites. And remember, that's what's going on here. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the Sabbath day. You've got to not eat pork. So I often say pork's not going to stop you getting to heaven. It'll help you get there quicker. But uh, they're using that as a means of works. Salvation. Now, pork issue, issue isn't a means of salvation. It's a matter of health. Okay, so conformity to Jewish rites, ceremonies, and beliefs, customs, and beliefs. And Webster goes on to say a Judaizer was one who conforms to Judaism, and in the early church, a Judaizer, listen to this definition from uh, Webster's dictionary, a Jew who accepted Christianity but adhered to the Mosaic law. Jesus in one hand, Moses in the other. I'll say it again. So a Judaizer is one who conforms to Judaism, and in the early church, a Jew who accepted Christianity, but adhered to Mosaic law. Moses in one hand, and Jesus in the other. So what's the problem here? Everywhere Paul has been, the um, in the uh, different cities, right from Antioch, right from Jerusalem. Acts 15 deals with the whole thing from Jerusalem, where Paul and Barnabas had to go up to Jerusalem, where the Judaizing teachers. Everywhere Paul went, it was going into the uh, cities of the Gentiles. The Judaizers followed him. Yeah, what Paul says is pretty good. You can have Christ, but you still have to keep the law. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep Sabbath days. Look at a couple of verses on this. Galatians 4. Galatians 4 verse 10. You pick it up. And verse 10. Yeah, Galatians 4 verse 10. You observe days, Sabbath days, and months, the festival months. Times and years, all the special things, the year of Passover and all these things, see. And uh, please take these kindly. I have to be, you know, speak the truth in love, but I do have to speak the truth. See, I have, you know, I've had friends over the years from seven-day Adventists uh, in in America. I had a beautiful brother. He's going to be with the Lord now. He said he knows better now, but a beautiful brother. He was so scared of all this thing, he kept Saturday and Sunday, to make sure he was right. Huh? When I went to the Middle East, I think I told you once, I found over there, uh, the Muslims kept Friday, the Jews kept Saturday, and the Christians kept Sunday. And I thought, that's a wonderful idea. Three days off a week. I'm going to introduce it when I go back to Australia. When I got back here, the unions had beat me to it. Uh, see, so this guy, this guy kept Saturday and Sunday. He was so frightened. Well, we don't keep one day the Lord. We serve the Lord seven days a week. But we'll, we'll deal with that later on. And then go to uh, chapter 6 and uh, verse 11 to 15. Galatians 6 uh, verse uh, 11 to 15. You see how large a letter I've written unto you with my own hand? As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but the desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross. Verse 15. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but hallelujah, a new creation, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and upon the Israel of God. How many get that? See, so everywhere Paul's went, he, these Judaizers are following around to all the Gentilic churches, upsetting them and destabilizing them in the faith. And so Paul's pretty—he's pretty hot here. He's got some righteous indignation. So the Galatian epistle is a mixture, syncretism, mixture of Moses and Jesus. Let me just say uh, one other thing, middle, just a few more moments before we close. Uh, there's a difference between the word legal and legalistic. Okay, now one of the big cop-outs out, and I get this thrown at me, oh, Kevin Connor, he's the most legalistic guy. Waverly is such a legalistic church. Well, I like what Ken Molman said, that a legalist is one that has a higher standard than you. Okay. Now, the word legal is okay. How many know it's legal to drive on, what side of the road do we drive on? Uh, the left side, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's legal. How many know it's illegal to drive on the other side? Now, you could drive on the other side and say, bunch of legalism around here, you know, the laws in this land, just legalism you'd be dead meat. Okay. Uh, how many know it's legal to get married and not live in adultery? Oh, well, it's almost legal to live in adultery, but it's not Bible, okay? So, you know, so legal, legal, legal. But let's, let's uh, define legalistic. What do we mean by a person who's legalistic? Because the, the Galatian church is suffering from legalism. Let me go, uh, say the definition. Theologically speaking, legalism or being legalistic, is the doctrine of salvation by good works or keeping the ceremonies of the law. You need to take that down for a definition of what it means to be legalistic. The doctrine of salvation by good works or keeping the ceremonies of the law. Now, we are not saying that, I am not saying that if you get circumcised, you don't eat pork, you don't don't eat uh, prawns, You don't eat durian. (laughs) And you keep the Sabbath day and you keep the feast, and go for misguided tours to Jerusalem and everything like that. If you do that, you'll be saved. That would be legalistic. I'm not saying that. So legalistic is, theologically speaking, the doctrine of salvation by good works or keeping the ceremonies of the law. Nobody's saying that. Okay, all that has to do with confusion Of covenants. Okay, let's just go back to our sheet now as we wrap up here and we'll pick this exciting episode up next week. Okay, uh, under number six on your notes here, the purpose of the epistle is to prove the authenticity of the gospel, according to Paul. We're going to pick that up next week. Uh, B, to refute the legalism of the Judaizers under the Old Covenant. C, to establish the doctrine of Christian liberty under the New Covenant. A D, to show the superiority of the Abrahamic and New Covenants over the Mosaic Covenant. Have to have a whole night or so on that. And then uh, number seven, the message, true liberty in Christ is neither the legalism of the law nor the license of the flesh. In the, in the Galatian epistle, we're going to see on one extreme was legalism and on the other extreme was license. So both, both are wrong. B, life and righteousness only come by grace through faith. Uh, see, having received the Spirit, we must also walk in the Spirit. We'll look at the outline uh, next week a little bit more. So in our summary, the Judaizers mentioned in Acts 15:1 had followed Paul's ministry among the churches of the Gentiles having particular success in Galatia. Their teaching was a mixture of law and grace, faith and works, and Moses and Jesus. They said that a sinner was saved by faith plus works, and that the saved were to be perfected through works as they kept the Mosaic law. The result of this teaching was that the Galatians became entangled again with the yoke of of the bondage of the law. Thus Paul writes this epistle, refuting the perverted gospel of the Judaizers and establishing the truth of his gospel. He takes up the covenant made with Abraham, and by allegory he illustrates the two covenants, Mosaic covenant and new covenant, using Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. We'll have a Exciting time on that part. Paul closes the epistle by showing that Christian liberty is neither legalism nor license. Number 10, Christ seen. Christ is seen as our faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our life. Christ is our Redeemer. Christ is the seed of Abraham. And Christ is the personification of the new covenant gospel of grace. And everybody said, Amen. I trust that you've enjoyed our foundation on this epistle tonight. How many can say amen? amen? All right, let's all stand. We're going to close in prayer. We've been going for over an hour. Do you realize that? Phew. All right, let's uh, close in prayer. And uh, what I'd like to encourage you to do is before next week, there's only six uh, chapters in the epistle. Please read the, uh, the, the epistle through before next Wednesday. How many would commit themselves to do that? Read the whole epistle through, so it's going to help us so you've got a working knowledge of what the epistle is about. All right, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you once again for the privilege of studying your Word and feeding upon your Word. You said, man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we believe, Lord, that Galatians is a preceding word inspired by the Holy Spirit, right from your heart and through the Apostle Paul. Bless us, Lord. And uh, feed us with your word. This is your bread, this is meat, this is milk, this is your word. Feed us with uh, uh, the truths that we receive from this wonderful epistle. And let your blessing be upon us now as we separate until we gather again in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconner.org for more information. God bless.